tonight again we thank you for the privilege of being in your presence thank you for your mercy thank you for your spirit father we worship you thank you for your holy ghost that's here to teach us to feast with us thank you for preparing a table before us thank you lord because you will open up lord waters in the deserts you will cost your children, your people to feed, Lord, in strange places. Father, we thank you because of the utterance. Thank you, Father, because of the mercy by which you speak. Thank you because of the grace, Lord, that flows from your heart every time your table is set. Our Lord, we honor you tonight. We look to you, great shepherd of the sheep. Only you who can feed the sheep. No one else can feed her. You are the owner of the sheep. You are the door of the sheep, Jesus. Every other person is a thief and a robber. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for giving him to us as a bread. Thank you because we seek to divide him further that bread of heaven. He said, I'm the bread which cometh down from heaven, which you will eat and you will not die. Thank you for the, the bread of life tonight, which is prepared for us. Thank you for the portion of that bread, which by the Spirit is going to be served, which is being served, Lord. Thank you for ministering graces, ministering abilities, ministering angels, ministering strength which, Father, you've made available, Lord, for your word tonight. Thank you, our Father, that in this short time we have, you will bring forth redemption, you will bring forth salvation, you will bring forth increase, you will bring forth deliverance, you will bring forth the, the miracle of opening of the eyes, of sight, of illumination. Father, you will bring the miracle, Lord, of dividing even the soul and spirit, bone and marrow. Father, discern the thoughts, and the intent of our heart. Thank you, our Lord. We, we bless your name. We give you glory. Holy Spirit, the revealer of the depths of God, you are the custodian of truth, the spirit of truth which no man in the world cannot see, cannot receive. We ask that you will cause there to be a release by your spirit of divine essence, virtue, of the spirit as the revelation goes forth as the word opens and goes forth to every soul let there be a flow a release of your divine essence of your divine power of the life of christ Amen. and the life of the son of god into every heart thank you father anoint my lips anoint my tongue anoint my heart anoint my soul pour fresh oil and a fresh water tonight, Lord. Fresh oil and water 
Father, to flow at your frequency, the frequency of your speaking tonight. Let there be release deposits of grace upon every heart. Thank you, our God. We give all the glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Good evening, everybody. God bless you. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, praise God. Amen. If you're in Romans 5, say amen. Thank you, Father. Um, praise God. Romans chapter 5. Um, read from verse 1. It says that, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Praise the Lord. Um, I think we've, we've seen Romans chapter 4 before and we were looking at Paul's, um, the Apostle Paul's um, explanation of the essence of the faith of our father Abraham and we, what he had said that he was trying to get from chapter 3 to, to chapter 5, right? To, because chapter 5 from verse 1, which we just read, it says, speaks about the dividends of the justification by faith. Praise God. And the word justification means righteousness. So the, what the righteousness of faith gives us is it gives us peace with God. Praise the Lord. And, and the whole of chapter 4, it shows how that peace or how that justification occurs. And we, we saw that it is a, the receiving of righteousness is a process um, whereby the heart, the soul of a person is engaged in a believing um, a believing process, praise God, and a, a process or a journey of believing that com that results in righteousness being imputed into the soul. Praise the Lord. Righteousness being what? Imputed into the soul. And, and we saw why Paul really explained in chapter 4 of Romans why um, we can, uh, why that righteousness or imputation of righteousness is something that is outside the law. That was the main case he was making, that it's not something that's within the law because our father Abraham, when he, it was imputed, for, imputed to him, or sorry, it was counted unto him in chapter 4, verse 3, it says what said the scripture, that Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Praise the Lord. And um, Paul went on to say that, when 
it was counted to him for righteousness wasn't when he was in the circumcision or when he was circumcised, but rather it was before uh, he was circumcised. And so that imputation of righteousness of faith had nothing to do with the law, praise God, but it had to do with faith. And so all of them who walk in the steps of the faith of Abraham, according to Romans chapter 4, are candidates of that to receive that righteousness. And we see that that way is the same way, of, is the exact way of righteousness or the way of receiving righteousness in the New Testament. Praise the Lord. Uh, amen. So as the, you know, the Bible says that the just shall live by faith, right? And we saw in Romans chapter 1 that, um, that Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation, unto the Jew first and then unto the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Praise the Lord. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So the righteousness is revealed from where? From faith to faith. Amen. I've asked you guys to do the recap, but we have no, no time these days on Wednesdays, but it's okay. Praise God. Amen. So I'm giving you guys a, a pass on this. <laughs> Praise. Normally, Uncle Jimmy is the one who would have to. Amen. No, Jimmy always starts from like three messages ago. <laughs> even things I can't even remember I said. Praise God. But I'm just trying to do a quick walk to connect it. I, I feel that's the way the Spirit of God will have, have, it, have us flow with the, with the word today. Praise God. I, I, I think, is it okay that we are visiting some of the basic things? Because sometimes in the basics, that's where the, the devil... The devil comes to rob us of things. That's how he steals from us. Praise God. And it's like someone can, be, can, have a, can be gathering plenty into a leaking basket. There's one small hole there that somehow your basket is not getting full. You are putting things inside. But things are not, you're not accumulating things. It's an evil. Praise God. So um, the Lord will have those little holes be short and make us short up, praise God, so that we can take advantage of the blessing of the time and the speaking and all that God is saying to us. Amen. So faith is fundamental. Anyone who doesn't know faith doesn't know anything as far as Christianity, as far as spirituality is concerned. And, and faith is not an anyhow, it's a serious, it's a faith is a major. Praise God. It's, it's the major even the milk fate, God had to raise a man and all his whole life. You know, God sent him, um, Reverend Kenneth E. Hagen of blessed memory. The Lord told him, go and teach my people faith. And he spent his whole life teaching faith. That was just the faith of the milk of the word. They had to praise God because faith has been so much bastardized. There was so much ignorance even about the faith of just the milk of the word of God at that level. And God had to raise a man by, by, start, by experience. God had to take him through. Um, God, I believe God taught him faith by experience first before he taught it to him by revelation. All right? 
even is the way he got born again. He got an encounter with the Lord in his sickbed. He had an encounter, an encounter with the Lord in his sickbed. The Lord raised him up by faith. And it, through that experience, it was later on, the Lord began to show him more, praise God, uh, more details about that faith which, um, by which the Lord used to visit him in that sick bed. And he taught it for decades upon the earth. And he has cultured nations um, by that faith. Amen. Amen. So now the Lord will have us move, move forward into the... Another dimension of faith, of course, which we've now, we now know to be, to be called the faith of the Son. As Paul mentioned, he said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but who? But Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So there Paul was, was introducing us to the epistle faith which is another kind of faith, which is a faith that has to do with living, with life. Praise God. He said, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live that life by the, by the faith of the Son of God. Praise God. So I live, say I live, by the faith of the Son of God. So that that faith, like we've been seeing, is the, the faith for living. Am I correct? Is the faith for life. I think it was maybe two, three meetings ago we're touching on that. Praise God. That the faith for getting things, for getting things done, for moving mountains, and for getting your miracles and getting your healing and getting all of those things, it's not the same as the faith for living. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Do you see that? So he said, the faith which I, my faith which I now use, right? I live, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So it's very clear from that statement that, that before he was crucified, he, he wasn't living by that faith, right? There was a time when he was crucified with Christ, and Paul saying, I am crucified with Christ. It wasn't really an event. It was a process of crucifixion. He, Paul made reference to that, that process later on as being made conformable to his death. In the book of Colossians, of, sorry, Philippians, sorry. He, he calls it being made conformable so for, to his death. is a conformation. Anything that has to do with formation is a process. Praise the Lord. So that being made conformable unto what? His death. That he said that I may know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. And being made what? Conformable to his death. So the, being made conformable to his death is a process which culminated in him being able to say I am crucified with Christ because he has been able to follow the same process of Christ's crucifixion. Of course, when he said, I'm crucified with Christ, that process of crucifixion or being made conformable to his death wasn't a physical process because Paul was still living and breathing and writing the epistle. And he said, I have been crucified now and I've been made conformable to his death. Praise the Lord. 
So it's very clear that confirmation to his death was talking about a process of death which occurred within the soul of, of a man or of Paul wherein he took on his own cross, right, and followed the Lord and the Lord was able to lead him on a path to a point where he could lay down his own life and take up another life. And he said, and the life which I now live in the flesh, praise the Lord, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My, my prayer is that one day that will be our own yeah. confession. That one day you can boldly say, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of this. Imagine you're going to preach about this faith and you can say that. I mean, I can't say that right now. I wish I, wish I, could, say, I, wish I could just open the Bible and just tell you, I want to talk about a, a, a life and a faith that I'm living and say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. My prayer is that one day I can preach that way. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And the, and the Lord will answer that prayer. For many of us, you will be a witness. You will be a witness. And that life will be manifested. Many will see it. Praise the Lord. It won't be a, it won't be a tale anymore. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank yes, you, Lord. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. For this is the life you have called to, you are called to live. This is the life that you were called to live. Just as how Jesus uttered the life and he finished it, you will follow that same pattern. Amen. You would follow that same pattern. Amen. For he was tutored. He was tutored and that was how he was made. He was tutored by the Father. Stay in this teaching. Stay in this teaching. Stay under my tutoring. Stay under my tutoring. Stay under my tutoring. For it is I, Jesus, that is tutoring you. It is I, Jesus, that is tutoring you. And as I'm tutoring you, I am making you into the same image that I was made into. You will become, you will live the life. For this is the life you were made for. This is the life you were made for. For this is the life man was made for to express. This is the life man was made for to embody and to express on the earth. For it will come to pass. For my word will not fall down void. For it will accomplish everything that it was sent to do. For my word is sure. My word is sure. Stay under my word. Stay under my word. For my word is sure. It may tarry, but it will come to pass. It may tarry, but it will come to pass. Thank you, It may tarry, but it will come to pass. Only believe. Only believe. Only believe. Only believe. And you will see the performance of those things which are promised unto you. Says the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 So, so that life um, which, we are, which we are speaking concerning, 
uh, is a faith life. Right? It's, a, it's a life of faith. It's a life, it's a life that is produced by the faith of the Son of God. Praise the Lord. And so that faith is a generator of life. Right? It's what makes soul. When a soul begins to live by that faith, to use that faith, it, it begins to cause life to increase on the inside of a person. And any person who doesn't use and live by that faith, who doesn't obey that faith, will not experience the increase of life. Amen. And so what, what we've been looking at is that there are, there are specific things about that faith that is key, and one of the things we've established is that to, to live by that faith or to use that faith, the, the, we saw the principle of that faith working. And Abraham was how the, the, the Paul, by the Holy Ghost, showed that if you follow Abraham's steps of faith, you can actually arrive at the same kind of um, um, result or dividend which he got to which is the imputation of righteousness. Praise the Lord. Do you see that? Um, so it's, it's very, very clear that um, the dealings with Abraham wasn't a law, wasn't something under the law, because you never hear under the law them speaking about righteousness being imputed under the law. That was something the law could not do. Am I correct? In the book of Romans chapter, chapter 8, it says, for what the law could not do, Praise God. From verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his son in the likeness, and then condemn so that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Praise God. Now, that righteousness of the law is not the righteousness of men under the law, right? Men under the law could not attain the righteousness of the law. That's why they needed to, be come, to come again year after year because even after they had been purged, they were not really purged. The Bible in the book of Hebrews says they remained the consciousness of sin. That word consciousness of sin means their conscience remained laden with sins. Praise the Lord. So if their conscience, so it means that the law really was not really imputing righteousness to them. But to Abraham, he found the method of imputing of righteousness being imputed. Right, which was the process of believing God, praise the Lord. Do you see that? Um, so, and we saw that the key thing with, with Abraham in his belief was that he staggered not at the promises of God. Do you see that? There were two key things from Romans chapter 4, if you want to really do like an x-ray of the chapter. I see what are the elements of that chapter. You see, there are, there are two main things you will, you will take from there concerning the fate of Abraham. Is that he walked not. He did not work. 
right? But instead believed in God who justifies the ungodly. Do you see that? That was one of the main things. He did not work, but instead believed. Then the other thing was he staggered not at the promises of God, but was fully persuaded. So, so you see that. So are you seeing that operation of, of not staggering? Staggering means to maintain a posture, right? Because posture is what makes you not stagger, right? right? If you don't have a good posture, you might stagger. Stagger means when things come against you to, to make you relinquish your stand on a particular matter, to move you, shift you out of your stand on a matter. That's what it means to stagger. Praise God. And staggering will end up, say stagger. Staggering will end up in, Peter used a different word. He used the word stumbling. Right? He used the word stumbling. So those who stagger, Right, are also those who have stumbled. Right? Praise God. And then, Paul used a different word in, when he was writing to Timothy. He spoke about the result of stumbling, which is making a shipwreck of faith. And he said that those who make a shipwreck of faith, in Hebrews in First Timothy chapter 1, are people who did not handle faith with a good conscience. Right? They did not handle faith with a good conscience, which some having put away, have made a shipwreck of their faith. In First Timothy chapter 1. Praise the Lord. Now, so... That not handling faith with a good conscience, that word not handling with a good conscience means um, disobeying the participation or not being, not being accurate with the handling of the inward process, the participation which the heart, the conscience, the depth of the conscience is supposed to have. It has a participation in the faith journey. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And we saw that a bit, um, it was kind of shown from Romans chapter 2, right? Where the scripture in Romans chapter 2 was making a distinction between men under the law, those who are under the law will be judged by the law, those who are without the law, which for example was Abraham, right? And some of the other patriarchs who were before the law, who were living by this faith, that said that these men, they had the law, written in their heart and their conscience excusing or, or accusing them. Praise the Lord. They, so they were living according to the excuse or the accusation of their own, of their conscience. Do you, you see that? So it means that those men paid, paid attention to their conscience. It means that Abraham, while he was walking with God, it wasn't, there's a way the Old Testament portrays things. You might not see that aspect because, like I said last time, those books, like the, the Pentateuch, they call it the books of Moses, 
were written in such a way that they were accessible to Jews by the way they were written. So when you're speaking, writing to a Jew, you won't talk about the conscience because Jews are, Jews are blind to the conscience. Praise God. Jews are what? Jews are blind. Or, or Let me not put the word blind to the conscience. Maybe the right word is because they have the consciousness of sin. Right. So, but they, they are almost, they are helpless when it comes to the conscience. Because in Judaism, there is almost a surrender, a giving up, an admission of defeat right from the start. That there is no, there can't be an inherent internal redemption that a man must externally redeem for his sins. You see that. So that, that's what makes Judaism a defeated thing. Sorry, I'm not, I'm not an anti-Semite or, you know, those things are sensitive these days. Praise God. So I love all the Jews in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> so I'm, not, I'm just showing you the Bible. If you call me an anti-Semite, you must call Paul also, who was a Jew. An anti-Semite because he's the one who taught these things. Praise God. He's the one who was trying to bring light and shed light to tell the Jews that we're not saying that they are bad. We thank God. They, were, they are the nations who preserve, God used them to preserve the earth. Right? If not for them, there won't be Christians today. So we have to give that respect. But the reason why we have to teach this is because there is a, there is a salvation even to them that if we don't teach it, they will not come into so every time you see we're speaking about the law, and it seems as if we are speaking against Judaism, and we are not. It's actually so much, it's a high love that we have to, so that that veil will be broken, so that many of, those, of, many of them can be set free to come to see the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. So you see there is, it's a, so that one is, is one religion where you have, where you, you, you fail before starting. Right at the beginning, in fact, the, the doctrine, the practices are an admission of defeat that a man has is an inherently sinful and he must do things to kind of at, or appease. Atone is not even the right word. It's actually almost to try and appease or to cover for, for their sins. Praise the Lord. So there's a helplessness concerning the conscience. In fact, for every religion on the earth, there is helplessness concerning the conscience of men. So it, they mostly have to do with just behavioral modification, which is not the same thing as the purging of the conscience or the changing of the conscience of a soul. But there were men who were engaged in, in transaction with their conscience before the law. And even during the law, like we saw in the book of 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 Hebrews 11, there were men who were constantly, they were, their conscience were alive. Someone like Rahab the harlot, who told her to do what she did? How, where did that instruction come from? That, that awareness, that knowledge, that look, these people, you can't just, I'm in a position where I must act righteously concerning them. Praise the Lord. You know, to, to, mix, to, take, to help a nation to, to be in that kind of place. Praise the Lord. 
it was it was the con- that was the, an operation of the conscience. And she was a complete Gentile as well. Praise the Lord. So, and many other men were able to follow their conscience. Praise God. Amen. Do you see that? So, the conscience is very, very key and important. So, in terms of how you use your conscience matters. In verse 20 of chapter 4, let's see quickly. It says, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving what? Glory to God. And being then fully persuaded that, that what he had, comp- he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone, that it was imputed to him. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our word, our justification. Praise God. So he was raised for our justification. Amen. Now, that justification, that internal work of justification, which he was raised for, because we said it's a process, that process culminates in what chapter 5 verse 1 then calls peace with God. So it says, therefore being justified by faith that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, a, a man, a person who has made peace with God is a person who has come into the full justification by faith or the full justification of faith. They've come into, they've received fully what faith, right, wants to give. So it means, and of course, what does faith want to give? Faith comes to give what? Righteousness, which is, of course, the faith brings about the impute of righteousness, right? The impute of righteousness. Now, righteousness residing within the soul. Righteousness residing within the soul has another name. When righteousness is residing in the soul, it has a name. What's the name of righteousness inside his soul? Life. Praise God. It's life. You can, in, the, in the New Testament, you can replace life for righteousness. Righteousness. But righteousness, right, just. What is right? What is right? Am I correct? Yes, sir. What is right is, is, is living. Is life. Life before God means what is right. So, righteousness is the law of life. Like when you say this man is a living person, it means that he is a person who can continuously be doing what is right. That is how God interprets a living 
a living soul, a soul that is alive, is a soul that is empowered for what is right. That is, you measure life in righteousness measure, righteousness quantity. The qualitative element of life is righteousness. Anybody that says they have life in them, but they are not living righteously, they don't have the righteousness of God, right? It's not living. That's where you take apart the overblown new creation doctrine that once you get born again, that you are, you are alive. Of course, it's very clear that living when you get born again has to do with your spirit, not your soul, right? Because you being born again hasn't stopped a person from doing what is wrong. Someone can be born again, but they are doing what is wrong. And to God, they, that, they don't have his life inside. So the way you measure life is righteousness. Praise the Lord. Do you see that? The way you measure what life is what? So, so, so if the purpose of faith is for the imputation of righteousness, it means that faith is for the giving of life. It's very, very clear. Do you see that? Faith is for the what? For the giving. And, and, and then you can now see why, you can't, why a person cannot separate the, the exploit, the journey, the into exploration of righteousness. You can't separate the, that from Christian living. You can't separate the exploration of righteousness, right? The journey into righteousness, the discovery of righteousness from Christian living. So when God is checking how much life does a man have, they have to check how much, how much of right things are inside a person. That's how much life that a person has. Praise God. And it's very clear that, that the accumulation of righteousness in a person does one thing, one main thing for that person. It makes you at peace with God. Do you see how that's very clear? So at peace means it removes the places of disagreement. The things that are not right, it dissolves them. It aligns your own will or your inward content with the inward content of God. So that's why it's very clear why justification by faith will produce peace with God. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Say peace with God. Peace with God. Praise the Lord. Peace with God. Say peace with God. So therefore, being justified by faith, we, we have what? We have peace with God. Through who? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The Bible says that the kingdom of God in the book of Romans is not eat and meat and drink, but of righteousness and of peace and then joy in the Holy Ghost. Of course, we know those righteousness, peace, and joy are all realms of the kingdom. Am I correct? Now, righteousness being the beginning, so you can, you can say righteousness, peace, joy. You can call it life, peace, and joy. Right? It's life, it's peace, and it's what? It's joy, because that righteousness actually means life. 
as well. So it means that the kingdom of God is separated into life, peace, and joy. And I explained that to you. Praise God. So what that means is that anybody who comes into the kingdom, right, is the beginning of God's kingdom is the subscription to right things. <laughs> do, do you see that? Right thing. And it, it sounds very simple, but it's not, it's not every person has subscribed to... to not every, every Christian has agreed to, for God to remove what is inside them and God to put something else inside them. That's what, that's what God wants to do. Right? That thing is an agreement that his soul has to make. It's a transaction. because And that transaction, to remove what is inside a man and replace it, is a death. Right, that is Galatians. That is, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth. So, if yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, it means that at some point there was I before that was removed, and then he put another man on the inside of him. Are you getting so? There's an exchange. It means that one man, and he, and he, he explained and he says that that exchange, he, he, he likened that to a death. Praise God. A separation of what was inside of him. Praise God. And the, So the purpose of faith is for the exchange of life. Praise God. The purpose of what? Faith is what? The exchange. So when they say walk by faith, live by faith, live by the faith of the Son of God, they're just telling you ex- be exchanging your life. That's all they're saying. Be exchanging your life by exchange of righteousnesses. Exchange of righteousnesses. Exchange what is right to you. That way that seemed right to a man. Exchange it for what is right to God. No man can receive the life of God without an exchange of what is right to him. What you seem to be right to you. Do you see that? If if you maintain what is right to you, you can't maintain what is right to you and have the life of God. Because you can't separate God's life from his rightness, his own judgment, his own righteousness. And that righteousness, it has to be revealed by the gospel. But therein is that righteousness revealed from faith to faith. Praise God. So, so in the kingdom, it begins with is subscribing to righteousness. Right? You must now be subs- continue that subscription and then come under the jurisdiction of the government of, of God. Right? When you subject yourself to the process of your own righteousness being taken away and him giving you his righteousness. And you must stay in that process until you've made peace with God. Do you see that? Then after you've made peace with God, then you now really, 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 really now begin the real, the real (laughs) purpose of the kingdom. 
which is joy. That's joy. Say joy. joy. So everything after you've made peace is counted as joy. Yeah. Everything that, because after a man has made peace with God, what's left to do? It's to enjoy now. <laughs> do you agree? Do you agree? It's to enjoy. So we've not started enjoying God yet. Uh, right? We've not started enjoying God. I know we say, what do you mean? I've been enjoying God. Or my, I've been, you know, anytime I worship, I sing, I pray, I always enjoy God. I agree. That. I know, what, I know what you mean. You know what you mean? What you really mean is you're enjoying the Holy Spirit. Right? But your goal is not the kingdom of the Holy Spirit. Right? It's, it's God. The kingdom of God. Amen. So the enjoyment of God, does, you, need, you need some kind of ability inside of you to enjoy God. Enjoyment. Do you agree? I'll, I'll give you a, a reason why you can't. En- we can't enjoy God until we've made peace with God. Because do you get? Do you enjoy something that makes you angry, that offends you, something that offends you, that's offensive to you? Is it? Does it make? Does it? Is it enjoyable? It's not enjoyable. It's not enjoyable. If you've not made peace, you can't enjoy. Joy comes after peace. Do you see that? Yes. Now, you can enjoy the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit, by himself, he is not a standard. But he is a carrier of standards. So, there's a point you can get to. You say, Holy Ghost, leave your standards, eh? Leave that. Let's just be enjoying. I'm not interested in those standards. You say, okay, no problem. We can still enjoy. What, do you, what kind of enjoyment do you want? I want tongues. What kind do you like? Tongues. Praise God. I want tongues of fire. Okay. Holy Ghost, you say, no, Wahala. We can do that. That can be arranged for you. You can enjoy what? You can enjoy tongues of fire. Then one day you say, okay, I, I, Holy Ghost, this tongue is not here. Now I want tongues of water. <laughs> you, know, you know, your fire tongue sometimes, after a while, after we fire balls for too long, things can get dry, you know what I mean? You've... <laughs> You feel okay, I want to change. Holy Ghost, can you change the operation? We want tongues of what? Praise God. And Holy Ghost, any, any way you want to flow to, you can do that. So, so someone can be enjoying the spirit because even the Holy Ghost himself is a wine by nature. Right? He's a, he's a kind of wine. Praise the Lord. So he can, he can give the soul enjoyment. But if God is merciful, he will make... It will make Holy Ghost stay back a little to make you think, okay, what's going on? Is there anything else more about this Christian journey than just enjoying the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues? Because the Holy Spirit, even though he's a wine you can drink, he's also, like I said, he's a, 
is a bringer of the standard. Am I correct? And those standards are, praise God, like you said, the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Those righteousness, peace, and joy are, are standards of God. They are standards of God, which the Holy Ghost, which are in the Holy Ghost, which the Holy Ghost can make available to a soul. Praise the Lord. Are we making sense today? So, so it's very clear that a soul must subscribe to the righteousness of God. Where they are getting you to is enjoymental. That's really why, you know, all these many teachings, all this word, all these things, revelation here and there is not finishing, it's not ending, it's not... Why? Every time you see the Lord is opening up another fresh revelation, like, ah, ah, I thought this thing has ended. And then you see another fresh thing. It's because, it's because God knows, if God does not bring that aspect to you now, if God says, let's have mercy on them, and let's just leave this side closed. The problem is that by the time God shows up, that thing will show up. <laughs> and, that, and when it shows up at that time, when it's no longer a time for change, it will become offensive. So most of the time, God will hide that aspect of himself. Like I'm sure in heaven right now, many people in heaven, maybe most in heaven, cannot see the entirety of God. It's not everybody in heaven who is enjoying God. Because you can only enjoy the aspect of God that you've made peace with. If God opens aspect of himself you've not made peace with, it won't be joy, it will be fight. It will be war. And you, you, because God doesn't want to war with you, because he might consume you, God will just keep that aspect hidden from you. Praise God. A lot of people who go to heaven and come back, I'm not doubting that they went to, right? They, they, they died for like some hours or some days and they went to heaven, they saw things and they came back. I'm not doubting that they, they went to heaven. I'm not doubting it. I have no right to, I mean, someone had, who am I to say you didn't go? Praise God. But, the only problem I've said is that I've not seen someone who went to heaven and brought back revelation of the nature of God. When I say revelation of the nature, I'm not, I don't mean that you saw a light and there was a very big light there and then you saw a line and they were asking people questions and you saw houses. I don't, that's not revelation. Are you getting what I'm saying? I mean insight. Insight into into what? The nature. Are you getting me? That would, that would tell you that, that heaven is not the way you see it. Is that a lot of times, people don't go to heaven and come back with revelation. I've hardly, I've not, I don't know if you've heard of anybody, but I've not seen. Most of the time when they come back, it's just one people who, one people who, because just that place is real and all of that. People who have, who have gotten insight and revelation about the nature by going to heaven, most of the time are those who were able to go through vision when they were here on the earth, through maybe a spiritual encounter. Maybe the Lord was able to raise them and make them, make them see a heavenly vision. Praise the Lord. For, and for the purpose of, so they can bring it and give a revelation 
for the purpose of change. Do you see that? Because change is meant for the body while you are in the flesh. Does that make sense? Praise the Lord. Amen. 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 So this peace with God is the Holy Ghost is the one who carries it, right? He's the one who relays peace. He's the one who teaches, he teaches righteousness so that you can make peace with God. Now, when the Holy Spirit is teaching that, what he's doing is he has to, he's exposing or showing the covenant, right? Because, of course, life and peace are covenants. Life and peace are covenants. Joy is also a covenant. Joy, in the joy world, there are also covenants in joy worlds, Right? Do you agree? Yes, sir. There's also what? Covenant in the realm of joy. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. So the, why did I say they are covenant? Because covenant is, covenant means, it just means what joins two together. Mm-hmm. That's the meaning of covenant. Gov- covenant is the glue that joins two living things together. It's, like a, it's the merging of two, two entities who have wheels. Do you see that? Two entities who have wheels to bring them into a common point. You know, when you read a covenant, it's not an expression of two different wheels. If there are two different wheels, it can't, it's not a covenant. Do you agree? Yes, sir. When someone wants to enter a covenant, is that is to bind them to one cause. If they are still separate, a covenant has not been made. An agreement has not been made. Do you see that? So covenant implies some kind of death. Right? It implies some what? It implies some kind of death. means some will, most likely one will dying for the other so that they can come into agreement. Do you see that? So it's not possible to attain peace without covenant. Covenant. Do you agree with me? When the the, the world moved, how the world was able to move out of the season of the great wars, maybe the World War II, for example, right? That was when a lot of the the world order, the, the present world order was was emerged, right? And was emerged based on, based on treaties. Nations who were fighting before, they had to come and say, okay, we want to come into an alignment in terms of our will concerning this matter. And they put into expression, written what they, what they would do. You see that? So really what ends the war is a co- those treaties are covenants between nations. Agreement. If you take away agreement, you are removing what? Peace. Any two nations that doesn't have an agreement on a matter, it's just a matter of time, they can fight. The only thing that stops strife is covenant, is war, sorry, is agreement. The only thing that's, that's powerful enough to stop strife or prevent strife is an agreement 
or a covenant. So you, so you see why life, peace, joy, why they are covenants. Praise God. So the, the covenant of, in the realm of joy, there's what you call the covenant of life, the covenant of peace. Then in the realm of joy, there are covenants in the realm of joy. The first covenant you get to in the realm of joy is called an everlasting covenant. It's an everlasting agreement. Right? Um, the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, spoke about that. Amen. Let's read it. Isaiah chapter 55. Praise God. Isaiah chapter 55. If you there, say amen. Amen. Said, Ho, everyone that thirsted, come ye to the waters. That's from verse 1. And he that had no money, come by and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price, right? Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Arkin diligently unto me. That one is telling you, why are you spending for what's not bread? Why are you laboring for that which satisfieth not? So he's introducing the, the principle of not working. Here, it's the same principle of Romans chapter 4. Praise the Lord. But rather you should come unto me than hearken diligently unto me, which is the word hearkening is the, is the attitude of faith. Someone who wants to believe hearkens. A soul that is, so hearkening is the work of believing. It's what you need to do instead of just laboring, praise God for what does not satisfy? Praise the Lord. He said that for, and your labor for that which satisfied not, hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Then incline your ear and come unto me here, and your soul shall live. Praise God. Remember that Romans chapter 10, for faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? By the word of God. So when you come diligently unto me, said you should hear and your soul shall live. And when your soul has lived, then I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Are you seeing? So the everlasting covenant is in the realm of joy. Praise the Lord, which comes after a soul. When you say a soul has lived, it's when a soul has, this life here is peace with God. Praise the Lord. So the, 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 the soul has lived, has lived. He has, his, his ear has been inclined and he has heard. Praise God. And then he said, your soul shall live. Of course, that, that ear was receiving things that pertain to righteousness. That was what was causing the, the soul to what? To leave. Then after leaving, the soul can now move into another higher operation, which is even what? An everlasting covenant. So this living here is also a covenant. Right? The covenant is called the covenant of life and peace. Do we, do we agree? Praise the Lord. 
which the Lord spoke about in the book of Malachi, um, amen, when he was referring to the priests, right? He said that, that the priests, say unto the priests, praise God, that this, this word is for you, amen. And he said, my covenant shall be with Levi, right? The, my covenant of life and peace, Malachi chapter 2, because of the fear for which he feared my name, Amen. Verse, verse 4, it says, And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. And my covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me, and was afraid before what? Before my name. So you see, he had a covenant of life and peace. Covenant, say covenant, covenant, of life and peace. Praise God. Now, this covenant of life and peace was something that he was, they became a custodians of under the law. Do you agree? They became custodians of this covenant where under the law, and they were operating a type of this covenant under the law. Now, of course, the purpose of that type was so that men can read it and understand. He said God wanted to look for a people that he would commit the, he would commit the symbolism, the type, the typification of the things that pertain to that covenant for the purpose of the scriptures. So those, so those things can be written about, amen, by the Spirit, and inspired souls can read those patterns, and by those patterns attain the righteousness contained in those covenants. Are you seeing that? That's the purpose of the law. See, the tabernacle, the ordinances, those things, is that the Holy Ghost can use them to inspire revelation, to inspire voice. They actually, they, those, the law is actually an instrument of the Spirit for speaking, right? To minister actual things which a soul can receive, but is using those, the law to typify those revelations. Praise the Lord. Now, but these men who received this covenant, praise God. These men who received this covenant, for them, they had they had attribute, of course, so the tribe of Levi. They had attributes that made God see, okay, in these people, they are, the way their soul is arranged, there's something in their soul that will make them able to handle the details of the typification of life and peace properly. That tribe of Levi, there's something, there's a characteristic they had that separated them from the other tribe. That the law, and that thing had to do with the laws of life and peace in God. Praise God. Do you agree with that? So this place that he was speaking about, where he says, for the fear which they feared me, he was referring to Deuteronomy chapter 39, where they also spoke about that. I'm sorry, I just have to rush through as much as I can. Because we have just a few minutes left, so amen. Deuteronomy chapter 30, 
33, actually. Deuteronomy 33. I believe that was... Praise God. From verse 8. Amen. So this was uh, Moses, right? When Moses was blessing the people of Israel, he was mentioning the different tribes. And of Levi, he said, Let thy Tumim and thy Urim be with thy Holy One, right? And whom thou didst prove at Massa, and with whom thou didst strive at the waters of Meribah, who said unto his father and his mother, I have not seen him, neither did he acknowledge his brethren for, nor knew his own children, for they have observed thy word and kept thy covenant. Praise God. Now, let I thumim and I urim. Thumim means, thumim means, it means actually, thumim means accuracy. Right. Thumim means, it means, actually means righteousness, but not partial righteousness. You know, my righteousness can be hard in measure. But Tumi means, when you say, it means, the best word I can use is right. It means accurate. That is Tumi. Or perfection. The perfect. Praise God. And then Yuri means light. Of course, those, those two things which was given, were given to Levi, which were tokens of actually the, their covenant. Right, where is actually Urim and Tumim, which is light and perfection. Praise God. So, so light is what you use to, to, to bring about perfection. Right, light means revelation, inside, because without an inside, a revelation, you cannot attain the perfection. So, so this tribe was a key tribe. This tribe, the God, Moses, by the Lord, was called, called this tribe the Holy One of Israel. That is, when he says, of, he, said, he wasn't speaking to Levi. Moses wasn't speaking to Levi directly. He was speaking to the whole of Israel. From verse 1, he was blessing Israel. Then he was mentioning different tribes. Right, so Moses said, concerning Levi, he said, now this Tumim and Urim belongs to Israel. Right, so of, of Levi, he said, let thy Tumim and Urim, means the light and the perfection of, of Israel, let it be with the Holy One. Out of the tribes, there's a holy tribe out of, out of the 12 tribes, which God called holy. And those, that tribe will be the custodian of the light and the perfection. Or the, and the accuracy of Israel. Of course, that accuracy to me has to do with the prophetic accuracy. Because Israel were a prophetic nation to bring a typification of the spiritual program of God, which the New Testament saints should come to inherit later. But there's a way they must do it in an accurate way for the, for the, to make the scripture flawless in its ability to communicate the spiritual essence of the things which God wants to deliver to the generations of people to come. Praise God. You see that? So God had to then commit the light and the capacity for accuracy to a particular people who he called the Holy One. And we now begin to see the attribute. 
So it's very clear that this light and perfection were actually tokens of a covenant. Praise God. And say, with whom thou, says, Holy One, whom thou didst prove at Massa. Praise God. And with whom thou didst strive at the waters of Meribah. Whom thou didst prove at Massa. And whom thou didst what? With whom thou didst strive at where? The waters of Meribah. Who said to his father, that's Levi. And his mother, I have not seen him. Neither did he acknowledge his brethren, nor knew his own children, for they have observed thy word and then kept thy covenant. Praise God. So this strife, say strife. Are you seeing something here? That there was a strife at this point, this place where they call Massa and Meriva was a particular point after they just they came out of, of Egypt, out of the Red Sea. Praise God. After they came out from the Red Sea, after they sang and everything, they journeyed a little bit. <laughs> Amen. They came, I think they played to a place called Elim. At first, that's where they first, they had an initial murmuring to God. Praise the Lord. They were asking for water. Actually, they came to Mara first, I think. Mara was probably the first point where there was a bitter water. They couldn't drink it. The moment God told Moses, they cut a tree, put it, it became, it became sweet and they drank. And they journeyed further to, I think, was it Elim or so? And there they found wells there and palm trees. So they were able to dwell with the waters of murmuring stops. Then they picked up their thing and they journeyed further again. Praise God. And they journeyed through the wilderness of sin. Then they got to a place called Rephidim. Then at Rephidim, there was no water. Praise God. Now, are you seeing nature of wilderness? This is wilderness dealings. It's, all, it's a fight. Wilderness is a place of rest, of, of removing. It's actually a lot of striving happens until peace has been attained. That's what the wilderness journey is for. It's a place of strife. They, were, they kept striving against God. They kept striving against him. Right. But in that place, why that, that place at that place they call Massa and Meribah was key because at that point, it, one tribe stood out on the side of God. Are you seeing that? One tribe did what? Stood out. And what, what was the key? The tribe showed the first, they showed, they were the only tribe who showed the characteristic of peace. Out when the other tribes took a striving position, they rather they took a different stand in that in that time. Praise the Lord. Now you know the, the manifestation of that strife was very evident. 
how do I know that that thing was, was prophetically speaking about, about striving with God? Or not even God directly, right? In that place, there was a prophetic act that showed who you are striving with. That it was Christ that you are striving with. Because Christ was the rock that followed them. And God told Moses to get water to them, must strike the rock. Striking the rock was the sign of strife. Yes. That, that provision of water at Massa and Meribah was contrary to the wilderness operation. But they strove with Christ to bring forth a provision for their flesh. Sacrificing the spiritual process of that season in the wilderness. That was the, that was the symbolism of, of God. It was God who told Moses, strike the rock. That the only way to get water now is you must strike it. Uh, it's by force. Striking means it's by force, right? Strike means that you... It's a, it's a, so that water that came out of the rock was the water of strife. How many times do we, do we get water of strife? in our wilderness season. Praise God. We settle for a water. We strive with Christ. When Christ is trying to make us develop to cause a difficult season, to cause to bring life on the inside, to cause an increase of life on the inside through the wilderness season, but nature of strife can do what? Yes. So that will tell you that while they were walking through the wilderness, all that journey, one tribe was assimilating. The, one tribe was able to muster up a faith attitude towards the wilderness that the other tribes were not. That when the other tribes were striving against God, one tribe, some tribes, they now discover something key. Time has gone. We can't finish this message. But there was something key about Levi that they exhibited in that season. That's what they are describing here. So they discovered that by their little journey that they took, while the rest of the tribes were just grumbling, murmuring, you know, the way they were following Moses with one wicked eye like this. Say, okay, let's see. You know, you know when the song, you know, wilderness, entrance to wilderness always begins with a song, right? It's sweet. That, you know, when you are just fresh out of the Red Sea party, ha! You know, you have proof that you have a God. Imagine a nation that has been serving how many, 400 and something years, and finally, there is proof that you have a God. You know, you were, they were te- imagine Israelites telling stories to the Egyptians, how their fathers, Abraham, I had a promise from God. God told him he's taking them to a land and all that. Imagine the <laughs> Egyptians would just be laughing at them. Look at this, look at this servitude. Maybe the suffering has made you <laughs> as tampered with your <laughs> thinking. Praise God. But, but eventually, what their God showed up. And they saw all those Egyptians, including their Pharaoh in the, in the Red Sea. When they came out, the song broke out. Well, after the song finished, you know so, that initial wilderness song? You know the song with which you enter the wilderness? is a powerful operation. 
until the wilderness begins to unveil itself. It begins to greet you. Welcome. Welcome. This is a praise God. Uncle T. You wouldn't say really welcome to the new normal. <laughs> the, new, the new normal. By the time the by the time the new normal begins to kick in, you know, it's a different operation, eh? That's where what does the wilderness do? Is to is to unveil the strife in men. Those, those things in men that doesn't agree with God, the terrain of the wilderness begins to expose them. So you now discover that while all the other tribes were getting more hungry, their anger was building. One tribe was having a different reaction towards the operation in the wilderness. You now discover that when they got to this time, you know, you know the arrangement in Israel, at that time, they, you know, they all moved out of Egypt, family by family, kindred by kindred. That's how, even in the Passover, that's the way the, the, the Lord arranged them in their houses. So they all journeyed like that. And you see, in the way they were organized in the wilderness, they were all journeying together as households. Praise God. So in that arrangement, there was... Each of, when Israel that came out of Egypt, what you will see, that you will see pockets of men bound by blood. You see what? You don't, they weren't a nation. They weren't, you see all those things God was saying, a nation, to make a nation. The wilderness was the one that was to make a unified nation. That is unified by a promise, a spiritual heritage. But when they came out, they weren't like that. They were families. And they are all arranged. They have the head of the family. They have the head of the clan. So imagine when this descent begins to come against Moses. It's not everybody just shouting against Moses. No, this one, they talk, they gather together. They arrive at their, their answer. They send their elder. Can you go and tell Moses this is what? So the strength of the rebellion was coming from their blood. Do you understand that? Yes. It was it was their it came from their their it was they were still when you are still inside your physical blood and when you are still intoxicated by your spiritual your physical blood, you don't have enough chance in your heart to expose yourself to spiritual blood. Blood blood means flow, life flow. And this thing is a great thing. It's a great deliverance that must occur. It's one of the, it's one of the great things that the wilderness is supposed to, supposed to remove from a person. You know, the, the mark of your, your natural tribe, the mark of your natural blood and your natural thing, well, it just means... You can summarize that blood. I'm not necessarily talking about maybe your physical lineage. I'm just talking about where you're coming from. That's what blood means. It can even be your friends or whatever. That place you're coming from before you came to the point where you're supposed to begin the exchange of life. 
that arrangement, there is a blood flowing in your soul. So at that time, as they were Israelites were journeying, they should, they should have stopped listening to their brother, their sister, their uncle, their auntie, their father, mother, and start listening to Moses more. Do you understand? That's what the process, because that's why all those things that the Lord did, obstacles, not having water, not having this, is to change their arrangement. If your father is the one who always provides for the family, but now there's nothing to provide. He doesn't have the means to provide. There's nothing. There's, and there's only one man called Moses, who God raised for 40 years with stamina, ability. But his own way is not like the way your father provides. Because your dad always makes sure that when you come home, there's dinner on the table. There are things there. There's a way, there's a way father, natural, provides. That you know, discover that when you come to Christ, he doesn't do that necessarily that way. You know the way your, your dad's mind can almost cut if there's no, no dinner. They say at night, during the end of the year, everybody comes home in the evening, you're back from school, everything, and there's no food to it. That can be, you're, you can even go and steal. But when you come to Jesus, to Christ, you know, discover that it's as if Christ is not even, doesn't even care. It's as if sometimes, it's as if sometimes, he doesn't, he doesn't care if you're sleeping without eating. Are you getting what I'm saying? It's as if the thing that vibrates in your natural father's heart, it's as if Christ doesn't, it doesn't, those, it doesn't think, it doesn't prioritize those things. The priority changes. Priority of Moses wasn't the same priority as those local fathers of Israel. Moses is always talking with God every time. Doesn't this guy know that we have to eat? We have, are you getting what I'm saying? So, but the reaction to that thing was different. Some of the tribes got more offended, got more bitter, but there was one tribe that maybe this is a different operation. Can we start listening to Moses? Are you seeing that? Time is gone, so we have to close. We will continue next time. Let's just quickly just pray. Let's thank God for his word. Thank you, Jesus. We give you glory. Thank you. In Jesus' name, Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. We give you praise. We ask that you will take this word, release the, the grace and the life which it's supposed to give to us and cause it to bring establishment in all righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. between the shine forth. You dwells between the cherubim shine forth. You dwell between the cherubim, shine.